Can they feed it? You know those Russians that call into Russian radio? Алло? Алло, я на эфире. Алло, я ничего не слышу, плохо слышно. Мы вас слушаем. Слушаем вас. Oh, hold on, let me tell Max. Max is, Max, he's like a... Does he watch live on Facebook? No, but he 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 can't like uh-huh. get through his night shift. My God! Wow! So he he has so he like he called he texted me. He's like podcast today, bro. Save I'm a like, life. Save I'm like it's world. not looking like it. He's like, damn. <laughs> like, save a life, save the world, bro. Absolutely. So the Gemara says, all right. So I just want to let the folks at home know we weren't gonna do this episode we tonight. Because do- because I feel like crap, <clears throat> as you could hear. You feel but, like crap. But as I was about to get into bed, I decided in my infinite wisdom. You decided. I'm trying to do that peach, uh, that diamond and pearl thing. But uh, all right, continue. Sorry, I'm not going to do that tonight. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, I decided. My, a friend of mine, a couple friends of mine, sent me John Stewart's. Most recent appearance on Stephen Colbert, that psycho. And um, here he is. Oops. This is a this is like a 12-minute clip. We're gonna listen to the whole thing. And we're gonna dissect it. And we're gonna try to figure out if I'm if I'm overreacting or not. Okay, you're you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna tell me if I'm crazy or not. I mean I am crazy, but you're gonna Svi, I'm here to tell you, you've never <laughs> overreacted in your whole life. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's. Okay. This is John Stewart talking about Dave Chappelle, Kyrie Irving, and Kanye West. Okay. Here. You can hear it, right? Uh, yeah. John Stewart, John Stewart, John Stewart. Mm, mm. I want to I I talk about something. We, we, you and I had a, a, a fascinating conversation last week. It was actually, I think it was the day after the election. I think it was Wednesday because mm. I called you up on the drive-in to go, hey, how about that last night? Not, not what we thought. Like, wasn't a rising tide of fascism. Perhaps the tide wasn't as rising as fast as we thought. Kind of nice, everything. But got to say, though, not great to see a lot of sort of uh, updrafting of some, you know, uh, casual anti-Semitism or some sort of old kind of Kabbalistic conspiracy theories out there. And you were like, yeah, yeah, yeah right. So, so lastly, it was after the, there was a Kanye situation, and then obviously the, the Kyrie situation. And after the Kyrie situation, Kyrie Irving, uh, on Twitter was trending the Jews. It was just the, for the words, the Jews, mm-hmm. uh, trending on Twitter. Yeah. And so it was, it was bittersweet because it's always nice to trend on Twitter. I mean, that... It's never bad. Uh, it's yeah. never bad, but it's never. I knew that if I checked it, it wasn't going to be like the Jews bought everyone ice cream. Like I knew it wasn't going to be yeah. the Jews, ABC's new hit sitcom. That's right. Uh, but because it was Kyrie and it was about the Nets, the Jews was trending under sports, which for us, nice. It's a win. Never happened before. Yeah. Sandy you know, Kovacs and then this. Sandy Kovacs, then it was like 50 years, and then and then this trended. It's look, I'm, you know, as our spokes Jew, and uh, we hear you, the people out there, and we know, you know, the power and control that the Jews have uh, collectively. 
because we that's how we wield it's trying to joke around it's all unanimous decisions. Yeah. correct uh i'm not on all the committees and uh but uh and i don't know who ended uh kanye's adidas deal that wasn't my committee i'm on uh oil uh oil prices and bagel flavors i do bagel flavors by the way and i say this to all you out there who enjoy bagels uh blueberry was a rogue committee that was not us i don't know where that came from but uh in terms of uh controlling obviously uh the world um sorry it's my hope in my lifetime and we hear this but it is my sincere hope that in my lifetime i do get to see a christian president i i hope that i hope that just sorry all right so far hold, hold on a second hold on okay. a second all right Hello? Yeah. Okay. For it, to see a president stand up and swear in, maybe on, and I say this with no regret, on a Bible. <laughs> Jews have controlled it for too long. And so it would, it would be our honor to allow you one for your turn. Just, uh, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. The, uh, uh, you know, first of all, the Kanye thing, I think everybody, he can be erratic and he says things and that didn't surprise me. The Kyrie thing surprised me a bit. You don't expect to get it from someone named Irving. Is that I it? Like, really thought he was one of. It's just like this Ashkenazi shit, you know, like. Yeah. Ashkenazi secular New York Jew. Just. Oh, God. Well, is that it? No, no, it's not it. It's it's more, oh, that, that, it gets it gets better or worse depending on how you look at it. All right. Well. No, it's very, okay. you're very generous. It's, you're very generous. I gotta say. Thank you. And there's a lot everybody wants to say now. Now, I, everybody obviously calls me and said, like, do you see Dave on SNL? And I'm like, yes. Very good friends. I always watch and send nice texts. He normalized anti-Semitism with the monologue. And I'm like, I don't know if you've been on comment sections on most news articles, but uh, it's pretty normal. <laughs> like, anti-Semitism, I mean, I, I, as you know, it's, it's incredibly normal. But the one thing I will say is I don't believe that censorship and and penalties are the way to end anti-Semitism or to not gain understanding. I don't believe in. See, this was all right when he was said, when he said that. But what, listen to what he says. And I think it's the wrong way for us to approach it. Kyrie Irving, they suspended him from playing basketball. If you want to punish this man, send him to the Knicks. I think that would be. 
Because I look at it like this, anti-Semitic, perhaps, but he can create his own shot. And that's what we're looking for. No, but in, in, in all seriousness, you know, penalizing somebody for having a thought, I don't think is the way to change their minds or, or gain understanding. This is a grown ass man. And the idea that you would say to him, we're gonna put you in a timeout. You have to sit in the corner and stare at the wall until you no longer believe that the Jews control the international banking system. Like we have to get past this in the country, the ability to look, people think this, people think Jews control Hollywood. People think Jews control the banks and to pretend that they don't and to not deal with it in a straightforward manner, we will never gain He's literally not even saying a fact. He's not even saying a what? A fact. Like he's like to pretend that they don't. I mean, we don't control the banking system. We don't. <laughs> well, maybe he thinks we do. He's... Okay, let's continue. Any kind of understanding with each other. Well, what do you imagine a more straightforward manner would be? Listen, listen to this people, people have the right to say whatever they want. I've said that, you know, also, any comic has a right to say anything sure. they want, and they'll probably find an audience for that. Mm -hmm. And that's that's been borne out the last few years. Right. But so what is the response? What what is the response? So, because people have the right to have a negative reaction to what people say on stage. I've gotten it a million times. You've gotten it a million times. Sure. Absolutely. So what do you imagine a response is to something if people perceive anti-Semitism in someone's in, well, in what Kyrie Irving posts, right. or uh, what Kanye says, or what Dave said on Saturday night, what do you think a, a good response well, would be? I think just reflexively naming things anti-Semitism is as reductive as some of the things that they might be saying. It immediately shuts down a conversation. I, I would say that people said that they perceived uh, a, uh, a promulgation of, even if, if, with a comedic intention, a promulgation of anti-Semitic tropes. That doesn't mean the person is an anti-Semite. Comedy is, is reductive. And I think part of what it is, is we play with tropes because everyone has prejudice in their lives and, and in the way that they view things. And comics rely on those prejudices as a shorthand for our material. Even the wokest of comics plays with tropes to a certain extent. But my point is the most interesting thing to come out of this, in my mind, was something Kanye said on his uh on his tour that he was doing after he said that. And then he got interviewed by five you know, different people uh, because the media model is arson and conflict. Um, he said something fascinating in my mind. He said, hurt people, hurt people. And if the point of all this is then to heal people, the only way to heal a wound is to open it up and cleanse it. And that stings, that hurts. But you have to expose it to air. And I'm afraid that the general tenor of conversation in this country is cover it up, bury it, put it to the outskirts, and don't deal with it. And what I would say is, you know, look at it from a, a black perspective. It's here, this is where he gets this is where he lost me. Yeah. Culture that feels that its wealth has been extracted by different groups. He he literally is gonna cause like Jews things. Whether it's true or not isn't the issue. That's the feeling in that community. 
And if you don't understand that that's where it's oh, coming boy. from, then you can't deal with it. And you can't sit down with them and explain that being in an industry isn't the same as having a nefarious and controlling interest in that industry and intention, right? And that's been the anti-Semitic trope. But you need to be able to meet people from what their community is feeling as well. So in terms of dealing with it, as saying for the way you might be able to deal with it is to say, okay, let me try and understand why you feel that way. Mm -hmm. Let me try to deconstruct. That's right. With, with facts, why that is not the case. That's right. And, but if you can't do that, if you're not allowed to say it, you know, Dave said something in the SNL monologue that I thought was instructive as well, which he says, it shouldn't be this hard to talk about things. And that is what we're talking about. Look, I can't pretend that there aren't a ton of people in this country and this world who believe that the Jews have an unreasonable amount of control over the systems and they wield it as puppet masters. I'm called anti-Semitic because I'm against Israel's treatment of Palestinians. I'm called other things from other people based on other opinions that I have. But those shut down debate, they're used as a cudgel. And whether it be comedy or discussion or anything else, if we don't have the wherewithal to meet each other with what's reality, then how do we how do we move forward? Is is my question. I don't enjoy it. Don't, don't get me wrong. You know, when when people I admire, whose music I like, or things like that, come out and say, "How many of you are in show?" But you know, here's the deal. We have our own tropes, like a white person's success is because of privilege. A minority's success is empowerment. A Jew's success, that's a conspiracy. You feel that. I feel that. But I have to be able to express that to people. If I can't say that's bull and explain why, then where do we go? And if we all just shut it down, then we retreat to our little corners of misinformation and it metastasizes. And the whole point of all this is to not let it metastasize and to get it out in the air and talk about it. Like, like I know you don't like Jews. I see it in your eyes. Is that it? Yeah. <coughs> so, uh, well, do you think you could, uh, <clears throat> You, you can express verbally what specifically you think you could articulate what it is exactly. I think, I think it's it goes to what you said the other day that people like this will always say a kernel of truth, you know. And in the weeds, in the weeds, you you find like absolute naive, at best naive garbage, you know. Yeah. And at worst, you'll find just garbage. <laughs> yeah. Self-hating garbage. Going just by pure instinct. Uh-huh. Um, which could be wrong. You know, I, I, I don't know. But uh, he feels like a very important high-level Erevrov to me. Yeah. Like, a, I believe most Erevrov are not conscious. No. 
I think the like I think um they the 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 true core right of the of the Erevrav, you know, there's like a handful of people. We we're kind of reading about them, right? Yeah. Uh, in Rabbi Antelman's book, but uh they were conscious. Some of them were conscious, but over time, most of them became unconscious. Yeah. I think he might be possibly one of the actual conscious ones uh-huh. because his familiarity with Jewy stuff yeah. goes past the regular secular Jew. Yeah. Like he understands, like I've heard him make, make cons- uh, uh, remarks back when he was doing the daily show. When I think he, when he turned 40, yeah. like he's like, I've reached rabbinical age. Yeah. Um, he, yeah, he, went, he went to day school as a kid, I think. Yeah, he knows too, he knows too much, <coughs> like, you know, like real Jew stuff. Yeah. Not, not reform, not conservative. Like he, yeah. he knows Jew stuff. Yeah. You know who else knows Jew stuff? Kevin Pollack, the, the uh, yes. comedian. Yes. He, he was talking about like he knows the weekly parsha, the haftarah. Yeah. The haftara. he, yes. he, these are not terms that most Jews know. Yeah. Okay. I'm not call, I'm not saying Kevin Pollack is an error. I'm not saying that. I don't know. I'm not saying that. Yeah. I'm just saying that it's like that. Yeah. Okay. So John Stewart, he is a little bit too familiar with Jewy stuff. And then when you put that together yeah. with his politics and what he keeps he he keeps you know he's like bill marring the situation yeah where he'll still he everything that's going on right now all the problems that we have all the stupid woke policies all the damage economically and socially has been caused by people that he has supported and promoted and then when the damage is caused, all of a sudden he begins to protest it. Yeah. Okay, that's that's a typical Bill Maher move. Yeah. Okay. And um and then he wants to seem like he's he's the cool one. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like he doesn't like w- what direction the party was going, as if he wasn't completely aware that, that that's what was happening when he was promoting these uh these yes. candidates and all these people. Yeah. He is so John Stewart is, I believe, single-handedly, like, if, if, if there was, like, a, an amount of influence that you could measure, right, like, in, in, in percentages, like, on a pie graph, right, a pie chart, um, when it came to electing uh, Clinton, uh, helping Hillary, Obama, right, yeah. Remember, all that was done he, when he was in that chair, in the Daily Show. Yeah. yeah. The Daily Show had more influence culturally on young people's decisions than any other thing. And he claimed that he either doesn't or he claimed that if he does, it's ridiculous and it shouldn't be this way because I'm a comedy show. I'm not a new show. But dude, right. like, right. he's very don't, don't very, act coy, bro. Yeah, exactly. V- very acting coy when he's fully conscious of what he's doing. Um, and then, you know, even when he tries to like lately, you know, he, you've seen him, you know, say stuff that <laughs> in defense of, 
sound it sounded like it was almost in defense of Trump or something like that, right? Like a couple of things here and there, which when it wasn't, it really wasn't. But he's getting like street cred for oh look what John like even sometimes you know they'll do something on the Gateway Pundit like oh did you hear what John Stewart said or you know, yeah. Yeah. um, but he uses that right and look and what was the whole point of that little speech? It wasn't really to talk about, no. you know, free speech and, and, and hashing out and having a real conversation and, you know, and, and, you know, uh, getting rid of these, uh, uh, you know, ridiculous uh, ideas about the Jews running stuff. That's not what it was about. What he delivered right there, the main point was that he, so he goes he is very upset with how the Palestinians are being treated in Israel. Yeah. That was the delivery. Do you understand? Yeah. It's like, uh, you know how like, like uh, zinc opens up the cell? Yeah. To allow, I'm sorry, uh, um, hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin opens up the a channel in the cell. Be careful. Which, which allows, <laughs> yeah, which allows the zinc to travel into the cell and to and to stop with the replication of the virus. Yeah, the right? delivery systems, yeah. The delivery system. That whole spiel that he was trying the to delivery system for or for for that one for that for his payload, yeah. which is the Palestinians are suffering and the uh, and is and Israel is responsible for it. That's what that was. And also we may or may not be controlling the banks and whatever it is. Yeah, he said to pretend that we that we don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's that's why I said it was literally not a fact what he's saying. Meaning, meaning, if you look at who actually controls the banks, it's not, most of them ain't in us. Can we talk about for a second this idea of we? Yeah. Even when he says it, yeah. Like, I understand. Like, does he do? Do I like the, if there are some Jews that control banks, right? Some yes. some of the banks. It's not like, you know, we go to the same pizza party. Well, he made a joke about it in the beginning. He's like, yeah, there's a committee, and I'm like, you know, he made he made like a sarcastic joke, implying that yeah, we 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 don't. Like, if only he came to Israel and saw that no one can agree on anything. <laughs> how can you how can you control the world if you can't agree on anything? If you have 120 people in a room. And they can't agree on anything. They had to have the fifth election. I, I how how is that possible? I'll tell you. I'll tell you how. What are we that deceptive or what? Yeah, we're, we we even deceived ourselves. <laughs> you know how like you have like these sleeper cells, right? Like you have like yeah. I think it's not a sleeper cell. What do you call like you have an agent that's like yeah, like you know they super highly trained a mole a mole. Yeah. No, no, but then but but they they brainwashed the agent to uh -huh. forget who he was and make him think he's like a wimpy, you know, oh. mild mannered, uh, yeah. uh, you know, store clerk. But then yeah. when he's activated, you know, so we do that to ourselves. That's how, that's how good we are. <laughs> yeah. no, it's, it's, it's astounding. It's really astounding. We are so good that. Yeah. yeah. Dude, all you got to do is go like, I, I was in, you know, world Zionist Congress, this, this useless organization, useless body. And, you know, the one, the last one was held on Zoom because of COVID, you know? 
And I remember sitting there, you know, there's people from all different factions, whatever. And this one girl, I think she's from England or South, South Africa, she goes, we can't even agree on procedure. <laughs> she's like, we're literally spending 30 minutes on just procedure. Yeah. Like how to proceed. With what? How? When? Who? What? We can't even agree on that. Forget about our political differences. Yeah. We didn't even, we didn't even get there. <laughs> How the why we should get there? <laughs> it's just, and, and yet we control the world. Yeah. So that's good. That makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, what the actual reality is, what I'm hoping that we can finally show, you know, if we get through this, these readings, right? Mm -hmm. Is that the people that actually control the world, <laughs> right? are you have a collection of uh they're all they're all platonists meaning they 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 want to create plato's republic yeah but the the primary agents that that are doing that are trying to do this are mm -hmm. consist of uh people who are uh completely they feel like as if they're a different species than us they're much higher um, and they want to create atheism for the masses, even though they know, or they have, they know that God is real and they, ha they have like a, their own special idea of, of what a relationship with God is. Hold on a second. Yeah. Excuse me. Yes, okay. So basically true religion is only for the highly, for the, for the, for the enlightened yes. super beings. Yeah. The rest of us don't even deserve religion. Yeah. Because we couldn't even wrap our minds around the profundity of their understanding of what God is. Basically, whatever our view of God is, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, it's better it's better if we have zero because we're so wrong and it's so primitive that it's better that we don't have any view at all and we just be a, you know, nice easy to control uh dumb atheists. Mm -hmm. Okay? That's who uh, is essentially trying to run the world, okay? Yes. And and also, uh, it's made up of two groups, a big one and a small one. The big one has has gone by many different names, okay? The the, the one the name that got out there the most is the Illuminati, and whatever whatever it else, whatever they morphed into over the you know over the hundreds of years since that you know. Or whatever they were before that. Okay. Nowadays they're called globalists. Okay. Uh, it's very easy uh, for anybody to to check what I'm saying. Just look at the, you know, read about the Illuminati. Read about their their list of goals. Compare that to the globalist list of goals. It's one to one. It's literal one to one. Also the Jacobins in the French Revolution, same exact list. Also the communists. It's the same exact list. Look at people by what they're trying to accomplish, not what they call themselves. Okay, so that group is, if you want to, if you want to look at it or describe it through Torah uh, language, Torah uh, garments, vessels. They are Amalek. They are. They are Amalek. That's what they are. Yeah. Okay, and they truly want the Jews dead. Yeah. Okay. And and that's 
so so that's one faction. Then you have, um, we've been calling them the heir of Rav, but, right? But they've also had different names throughout the centuries, right? The, the most recent, well, what we've been reading about is uh, the Frankists, which is a, in some ways, more terrifying, uh, not so much to the world, but a, but to the Jews than even the and then even Amalek, because these guys hate us so badly that because why because Amalek has more potential to become a Jew than they do. Let me explain what that means. Amalek can still do teshuva. Mm -hmm. Teshuva and conversion is available to Amalek. Can you believe that? Yeah, because they say that uh, there's, you know, there's like this joke that like Amalek's great-grandkids are uh, living in Bnei Brak, Steiging. Yeah, it's possible. You know? Or right? Haman's Amalek. Sorry. There, there, are, there are children of Nazis that converted <laughs> to Judaism and became religious Jews. Yeah. That's Amalek. Yep. Now, but the Frankists right, this Erev Rav segment, are a maniac cult who they have similar ideas. Yes, they are Platonists, right? But they're not going to... Um, they have this um, unhinged rage towards mm -hmm. regular Jewish people yeah. because they were excommunicated uh, about 300 years ago. Yeah, a little less than a little less than three hundred years ago, for ten generations, yeah. they are and the the rap this what was it the council of of four of the four of the four yeah, corners Arba, Arba Artsot, yeah the four lands the council of the four lands with thirty rabbis from yeah. Eastern Europe um, that excommunicated all the followers of of Shabtai Tzvi and of Jacob Frank and anybody related. All of them for, for the folks at home, excommunication means that your your soul is utterly cut off from your people. You are, not, you are not part of Israel anymore. Your children can't marry into Israel. Um, they're considered, for the most part, uh, bastards. Yeah. Children mom, that, mom, that were born from adulterous mamzerim, yeah. children born of adulterous yeah. unions, which is their own fault because that's part of their insane cult. Mm -hmm. is to you know to do that okay but they their rage comes from the fact that they thought that they had this amazing liberating idea for the jews and that the fact that they weren't accepted and the fact that they were excommunicated they were cut off which legally you know when it comes to jewish law it means that that you don't talk to them you don't have pity on them. You don't provide any shelter for them. You don't give them any money. You don't feed nothing. You know, you can even like, you know, get rid of them. You can kick them out of town, you know, like physically remove them. Okay. So that's according to Torah law. Uh, they took that kind of hard. Mm -hmm. So not only are they trying to create a platonic civilization, they also want to get their revenge against the Jews. And in a certain way, they have more rage against us than Amalek. Mm -hmm. Amalek just has like this like default yeah. kind of like consistent. It's a, it's a, it's a very simple. It's, it's a simple. It's a consistent flow. It's like, you know, there's no arguing with it. It's a yeah. deep programming. Yeah. The Frankists. Like this guy wants to argue with them. 
the Frank, yeah, John the Frankists have a uh, just a burning madness, a rage when they see any. So we're gonna discover as we go through these readings that the people, the high level uh, people in politics and in industry, are descended. Who the high level people that are Jews, right? That are famous for being Jews that are, are descended from these Frankists. Yeah. Yeah. And then it really, really starts to come into focus. What is up George Soros's ass? <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> I'm saying, you know, what, what yeah, is yeah, his yeah. major malfunction? Yeah. Why does he seem to try to make the Jews look as bad as humanly possible? Yeah. Why does he try to destroy Israel? What? Why is? What, why are they doing this? Why is John Stewart? Yeah, doing this. Okay. Um, now I'm just guessing about John Stewart. I'm just guessing. You yeah. know, I have. I just have like a feeling. I of course I, I kind of want to be wrong. You know, because he's a. Yeah. You know, I, he's a likable guy. Yeah. You know, maybe it's just the putts. Maybe it's just the funny putts. I think he is a putts. Think part of it is that that's part of that's possible. He's just a funny putz. Yeah. Okay. I hope I hope that's what it is. Yeah. But that's not what it is. But if you didn't say this whole Palestine crap and this other crap about talking and this and that, you know, weeding out stuff and whatever. Honestly, I was very open to hearing what he had to say, but once I heard him say that. Again, he's not going to pay for it on the streets of New York. No, he's not. But you know who is? Rick Moranis. <laughs> yeah, oh, actually, yeah. Rick yeah. Moranis is one of the joys of my life. Yeah. His existence, his acting, the movies he's in has brought so much joy to me. Yeah. And, and almost more than anybody else. Yep. Like, if I would be equally hurt if, like, Bill Murray or John Candy... <laughs> Or Harold Ramis, or even Ernie Hudson. He, he did. He was good in those. Ernie ones. Hudson, Winston, Winston, from uh, he's the Ghostbusters. Oh, Winston. that guy. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know the name of that actor. Yeah. Okay. I would be equally as hurt. It, it, it's so. I can't believe that they that they touched them. I can't believe it. Yeah. You know, so he hasn't been part of Hollywood for like thirty years. Yeah, you know the the official story is his wife passed away, so he just went to take care of his kids. Yeah, you know? but yeah. but it's probably more than that. He the last movie he who Ernie Hudson. I'm talking about Rick Moranis. Oh, Moranis, uh, Rick Moranis. Uh, what was the last movie he did? Let's see. Last movie he it's did. Like a family flick, some kind of family Yeah, flick. he did he did a bunch of movies in the 90s and then like early 2000 a little bit. He did like the voice of a, in a cartoon, Brother Bear. And that's it. Yeah. So and he, and then he did like, oh, they're they're gonna do Shrunk to be announced. They're bringing him back, honey. I shrunk the kids. It's gonna be just called Shrunk. They don't know when it's gonna be. Yeah, that that was uh but yeah, he hasn't done anything since really the 90s. Yeah. And and it's probably um, he's super Jewy. A lot of people don't know that about Rick Moranis. Yeah, he, he's another one that knows what a haftarah is. Yep. 
Hmm. You know, he has a, he has like a comedy hmm. uh, album, you know, like a, hmm. a record of, hmm. of him doing like Jewish stick. Hmm. It's really bizarre. It's like I, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, no, but yeah. So I, I think he's probably like. I think why, why did he get his ass kicked? I think, I think it might have to do that. He perhaps he's not an Arab Rav, or he yeah. tried to get away from it. Yeah. You know, he kind of learned what was going well, on. Well, some guy on the street. There was some guy named here. Thirty-five-year-old man was arrested Saturday in New York. This is from two years ago. New York City attack on Rick, actor Rick Moranis of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Suspect Marquis Ventura was spotted by transit officers in the subway system near 72nd and Broadway, a few blocks from where October 1st assault took place. Central Park West near 70th Street, Sergeant Anwar Ishmael said. Police did not identify the victim as Moranis, but referred to the assault outside the actor's Upper West Side building. Moranis was punched by a man in an I Love New York sweatshirt, and the assault was captured on security video. Moranis, 67, hit the ground after the punch and later took himself to the hospital. It did not appear the actor did anything to provoke this assailant. At the time, Moranis' spokesman confirmed he was a victim of the assault. He's fine, but grateful for his thoughts and well wishes. Police said Ventura was apprehended. Da, 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 da. Uh, yeah, includes the allegation. Assault. Second degree, intent to cause serious physical injury to another person. Further details about the suspect, include whether he has retained a lawyer or not. I don't know. I don't know. No, it doesn't say why he was attacked. It doesn't say. I don't believe stuff like that just kind of happens. Yeah, I know. I know. It's kind of, it's really random. It's really I don't random. believe. I don't believe that Denise Richards was just kind of randomly shot at today. She was shot at? Yeah. I don't believe that, 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 that Jay Leno... Had his face burnt off yesterday, just randomly. Jay Leno was playing with his cars. That's, I mean, that that could happen. Yeah. Well, listen, you know, accidents <laughs> happen, as they say, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, vehicle shot at during road rage incident. The hell, driver opens fire. And Denise Richard, huh? The hell. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know anything about Denise Richards. I'm not saying like I I have any like idea. I'm just saying they, that like, they, just they in said general, that, they said that they were driving somewhere and her husband was having a hard time finding the place, finding a place where they were going, and the guy behind them was irritated, shouting at them while trying to squeeze in front of them. Aaron let the guy pass, but the other driver wasn't done. He shot at the truck, hitting the back end of the driver's side. Fortunately, no one was injured. Denise was a nerve sobbing as she arrived on set. Someone from production saw the bullet hole in the truck called 911. It's clear if cops, it's unclear if cops and came or took a report. What the f- crazy, bro. Huh, it's interesting. Denise's character in Angels Fallen, Warriors of Peace, is a weapons expert. Her co-star, Karina Rico, posted a pic with a fake stash behind them. All like gun, fake guns. By the way, maybe it's fallout from the Rust tragedy, but the same day producers saw a gun safety meeting for everyone on set. Oh, about the whole uh, Baldwin. It's just so weird. It's so weird. Yeah, man, there's something else behind this. I don't know. Yeah. But the point is that... So, I did get a little sidetracked, but yeah, <laughs> essentially the, the point I was trying to make was that um 
it's not looking good for the Jews. It never did, actually, <laughs> you know, because no. not only do you have a Molech, but now you have, you don't even have, like, this is a Rav, like, like on steroids and crack. Yeah. Frankists yeah. are cracked out steroid abusing Erevrov. I don't know if that makes any sense. It's yeah. it's much worse than the you ever, you ever see Blade, you know like the Blade yeah, yeah, the yeah. trilogy. Yeah. I think it was the second one yeah. where like they created this like scary crazy vampire that had like its mouth would open like mm-hmm. from the side like it would open sideways. Mm-hmm. Like he had this like giant mouth like half of his head would open up and it could wrap around like all the other vampires are scared of him. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking at them. Blade Two. Yeah. Oh my god, it looks like kind of like when you saw a Predator. You know, when Predator opened his yeah. mouth. Right. Kind of right. So, 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 the, so the air of Rav could be like you know in this comparison, like to the regular garden variety vampires, yeah. and but now you know the Frankists because of the excommunication, right? Now you have like this created this you know this like terrifying monster. You know, and yeah. this is for the for anybody listening to this. This is, you know, especially the target are of course the Jews. Okay, like they, they, the Frankist Erevrov, they don't give a damn about the about uh, people living in Ohio or the Eskimos or Swahili people that speak Swahili. They just care about the Jews. Yeah, that, yeah everybody has a bone to pick. Yeah. Yeah. How dare we not ex- not accept their enlightened ways? And free ourselves and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Another group that thinks that we, that because we didn't accept their Messiah, the, you know, the, the redemption was delayed. Yeah. How many groups is that now? Three? Yeah. <laughs> right? By the way, this thing is called a Reaper. Uh, that that, that uh, vampire and blade. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So... You know, I don't know, man. It's just it just seems like it's high time to get the hell out of America, or or get a gun, or I don't know what. No, man, it's it's high. It's it's. I don't. I don't think that it kind of matters anymore. Uh, where you're at, mm-hmm. because the again the the Erevrav in Israel, right? Yeah. They're in, they're in the process. I think that they, there's like different factions. Some factions they want to deconstruct the the experiment completely. Yeah, cold. It, it didn't turn in yeah. to the communist utopia that they were originally planning it to be. Yeah, it didn't turn into Singapore. It didn't. So so therefore, you know, Too Jewish for them. Yeah, and the fact that um, you, it, within a few years. They realize that the vast majority of the actual population is going to be religious Jews. Yeah, or at least Mosarty, at the very Jews, least. Jews that are Jews that have a, a connection mentally and emotionally to the Torah and to God. Yeah. That's who's going to make up the majority of the population. Yep. They can't yep. have it. So they thought that they could possibly do something with this virus and then this vaccine. Yeah. You know, because again, they're not like a Malik. They don't want to annihilate the Jews. Um, but they do sometimes feel that a culling is required. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So 
Um, that's what we've been seeing. So I don't know how, how much safer Israel is for the Jewish people. And even this whole thing about the, you know, what if they were given a placebo? Maybe there was like some kind of secret plan that we don't know about where, but look at their death stats. Yeah. Too many people have died and too many miscarriages have occurred yeah. for, 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 for that hope to be realized, right? I mean, maybe you don't have to agree with me. That's what it seems like to me. Too many people in Israel have died. Okay. And too many miscarriages have occurred for this to have been, you know. So for that reason, I'm not sure uh, if it matters where you're located on the globe anymore. Maybe Antarctica. You know, maybe if we can get to the moon or something like that. I, I think that... Um, I don't know. I think um, I don't know what to do. Yeah. You know, just kind of like a shelter, seek shelter. Like, <laughs> like imagine like the whole world is being engulfed in a hurricane, right? Like, where do you where are you going to hide? Hurricane is everywhere. Hmm. Try to find like a little crevice to, to hide in somewhere. Yeah. I think it has a lot to do with consciousness. Yeah. I'm speaking like I'm speaking kind of like somewhat literally, somewhat kind of metaphorically. Yeah. Right. Where I'm saying like I think that we have to there's you know a beerer that's going on, right? Of course, of course. That's what they, to, they've been talking about. It. We have to somehow find people who are like like-minded and and then just do logical things, like you know, arm ourselves. And, you know, not get crazy, you know, uh, you know, understand that it's not a it's not a glorious thing at all. Mm -hmm. And it's strictly for for protection in the worst case scenario when when maniacs come and try to, you know, try to harm us. Right. And, and that's pretty much it. I mean, what else can we possibly do? You know, you can get out of the cities if, if, the, if that's available to you. Right. If you're not anchored down by many loved ones that, you know, you're not going you know what I mean? Like you, you have to, you got to be a real kind of SOB in your personality to be, to have the ability to leave all your dumb relatives, right? Like most people will go down with their with their loved ones. Yeah. I mean, you have the odd duck here and there that doesn't have much relationship with their family or something like that, or they're not terribly close. They're not tied down by relationships they could do something like that you know mm -hmm. but so if you but if if it's available if you have a very open-minded family you got a lot of money so you should relocate to a rural area should yes. so that's why you don't want to keep saying that we need a, a supernatural event yeah. this is what why i'm saying it yeah because yeah. there really is no place to go there's no place to go. There's nobody to talk to. There's nobody to negotiate with. You know, you can only you can only defend yourself against so many, you know, troglodytes. Yeah. You know, it's like Lord of the Rings. You know, it's like that horde that's coming at you. I mean, can I read? Absolutely, but can, I just wanted to. And this is actually your idea earlier. What do you want to read? I wanted to just quick do a quick read. 
of this is a uh, cliffnotes.com mm -hmm. uh the republic plato's republic okay well, what the whole thing it's uh it's actually a sh very short article okay oh yeah because i asked you about what is this whole thing with platonic relationships and all this kind of stuff i think it might be a good idea to to read about the vision that the people that are trying to kill us have yeah you know, you might want to know what, what, what is it that they're working towards? Yeah. Okay, so um, this is the book summary. I'm just going to read the summary. Okay. Um, so the major intent of the debate in the Republic, mm -hmm. Republic is to determine an extended definition of what constitutes justice in a given state. Whether or not a concept of justice may be determined by citizens in a given state at the time that Plato was writing and how justice may be accomplished in a given state, meaning how laws might be enacted that would serve the citizens of a just state in courts of law. Yeah. Thus, it is that the conversation in the Republic proceeds from a question of meaning, meaning what is justice, and is augmented by questions of fact. Um, are the examples of justice in action or of just men? Uh, so again, it, it's augmented by questions of fact to a question of policy. Um, like what laws may be affected to ensure the carriage of justice. Of course, if a given state could be founded on a resolution and emulation of such precepts, <clears throat> an ideal state. So Plato is generally acknowledged to be an idealistic philosopher. The argument advanced in this dialogue, then, is an attempt to outline a possible and realistic policy for securing well-being and happy concord for the citizens of the state, just citizens dwelling in a just state. <laughs> the Republic, we are reminded, is translated from the dialogue first written in ancient Greek. Perhaps a better translation of its title might be the state or the ideal state. Yeah. As Plato advances the argument in this dialogue, he sees that he will have to incorporate questions having to do with the education of the ideal citizens, questions having to do with the place of the fictive arts, music, poetry, drama, and so on, uh, in his ideal state, and the philosophies and metaphysics from which these things ensue. So this summary was complete trash. It said literally nothing, literally nothing. The whole thing, that was an extremely verbose way of saying that he's going to discuss uh, how to make proper laws and how to build a, a perfect society. That's what you just read. Yeah. That's how it should have been written. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, wow. Terrible. Sure. Let me know something else. Okay. Um, all right. Let's look at the Wikipedia. Who knows? What I wanted to know is how it came to be a thing of like platonic relationships. And... Well, I, I, I can only wager a guess. I think like, so I've read elsewhere. <laughs> you read what? I've, I've read elsewhere mm -hmm. that Plato's ideal, uh, you know, that once the ideal state of the Republic has been reached, then men and women. Oh, hold um, on a second, man. Um, somebody's not going to know. One second. I apologize.
Hello? Yeah. Yeah, sorry about that. Okay, so uh, basically <clears throat> the ideal reached, uh, I guess, of an enlightened state, enlightened citizens, is when no men belong to any women and no women belong to any men. Right? So yeah. the intimate union of man and woman into, into, a, into a couple, a married couple, right? Yeah. Represents the most non-platonic uh, of, of relationships. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have a close relationship with, with a person of the opposite sex, like marriage, mm -hmm. then it's considered platonic. Yeah. So when someone says, let's keep it platonic, probably that's where it originated but it kind of morphed yeah. into you know meaning let's keep it so platonic that we don't even touch each other at all like you know what i mean it's, it's like it's like when the girl doesn't want you to touch her at all that's not what it originally meant but that's what it came to mean in our in our day yeah. uh okay let's see just i'm just looking for uh, Republic summary. Second. No, no, it's damn it. I'm going to write this. I'm going to write, I'm going to Google platonic society. Yeah. Because Plato's Republic is kind of like a play or something like that. It's like a, yeah, it's going to, uh, so Plato's political philosophy. By the way, Rabbi Green just wrote. You know Rabbi Green, Michal Green. Yeah. Sure. A lot of self-proclaimed opponents of quote anti-Semitism are the are themselves the biggest Jew haters. Yes. Yes, that is correct. Once again, the rabbi is correct. It's like a you know what's his name, Eddie Murphy. Once again. Yes. Once again, Lisa McDowell. Lisa. Lisa McDowell, you have you have said you have been proven correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, I just received a book that I like. Uh, like I I ordered some of the books that Rabbi Antelman was using as a reference. So I just ordered one that "The Cult of the All Seeing Eye" by Robert Keith Spencer. <clears throat> mm -hmm. uh, it's a very short book, very short. So it's like a. It's more like a booklet. We'll see what it says. I'll get back to you guys on that. But um, so basically, here is the Plato's political. So I'm I'm reading the Wikipedia, uh, Plato's political philosophy. It's really short. So Plato's political philosophy has been the subject of much criticism in Plato's Republic. Socrates is highly critical of democracy and proposes an aristocracy ruled by philosopher kings. Plato's political philosophy has thus often been considered uh, totalitarian by some. Um, critique of democracy. In the Republic, Plato's Socrates raises a number of objections to democracy. He claims that democracy is a danger due to excessive freedom. He also argues that in a system in which everyone has a right to rule all sorts of selfish people. One second. Since everyone has a right to rule all sorts of selfish people who care nothing for the people but are only motivated by their own personal desires are able to attain power. 
He concludes that democracy risks bringing dictators, tyrants, and demagogues to power. He also claims that democracies have leaders without proper skills or morals, and that it is quite unlikely that the best equipped to rule will come to power. <laughs> Plato, through the character of Socrates, gives an analogy related to, de to democracy. Mm -hmm. By the way, before I continue that, um, so therefore, uh, Platonists, people who believe in what Plato is saying, they will make sure that the worst people come to power. They will, they will try to manipulate every possible thing that there is, every little weakness that there is in a, in a, in a democracy, yeah. right? To make sure that the most, that the worst people come to power and the worst aspects. So the thing, what's funny is that the thing that they fear, that they state that they fear, they, they're the ones that bring it. Yeah. If it wasn't them doing it, it wouldn't happen. Of course. But they have to prove themselves correct. Yeah. Of course. That's, actually, Soros has said pretty much exactly what, you know, that's yeah. exactly. So. He said it in their words like this. <laughs> yeah. All right. By the way, speaking of Soros, can I uh, play you one thing? This is uh, Shmudo talking to uh, Xi Jinping. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was gonna bring it up. Uh, the the he's like trying to like, you know. She just read it. Just... Talk read no. It's just here. Chairman Xi dresses down Justin Trudeau like a junior employee for leaking their private conversation to the media. Trudeau can barely walk after. Here. Yeah, here. I don't know if you could hear it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the subtitles. This is completely staged, by the way. Everything we discussed has been leaked to the paper. That's not appropriate. Uh, and that's not how the way the conversation was conducted. If there is... You know what? Here. If there is, oh, here. Can you hold on a second. We believe in free and open and frank dialogue, and this is what we will continue to have. That's what Trudeau is saying. That's why this is totally staged. Yeah. We will continue to work constructively together, but there will be things we will disagree on. Yeah, Trudeau is is is, is the same type of tyrant that Jean, that this guy is, Jinping, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Okay. Suppressing, you know, people's rights to protest, uh, closing their bank accounts, yeah. uh, putting, you know, journalists in jail. You know, like the like all the guys from Rebel News, like Ezra Levant people, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, just a typical third world uh, dictator, thug, and then the fact that he said that to the Chinese, and it was just so happened to be recorded. Give me a damn break. Yeah. They think you're stupid. Do you understand yeah. that? All right. I mean, that's what I think. I mean, you can think whatever you want. <laughs> but that is what I think. I think that is staged. Okay, so. Speaking um, of stage, man, like, I still hold. Dude, you know they have the opening ceremony for Qatar World Cup? Dude, the best opening ceremony. And it's available on YouTube for anybody who wants to watch. The 1990 Italy World Cup. 
dude, Mashiach could have came at that in that stadium. Yeah. Even with all the ladies who were not exactly Tznias. Yeah. Yeah. But who the hell cares? You know? Yep. They would have all immediately fallen in line. Dude, the all music fallen in love with Mashiach and then began dressing exactly how he would want them to dress. Dude, the music, the vibes. Actually, the, there's two World Cups. The 86 one and the 90 one. But 90, I think it, it like tops it. Do, do You know when Joseph came to Egypt, right? Like even before he became Viceroy? Yeah. Like women were just trying to like, you know, figure out what he likes so yeah. they can just they can just get in, you know, yeah. just out, yeah. get, get him to stop and talk to them. Yeah. There's in the Midrash, it talks about um, when Joseph was still a slave to Patifera, yeah. uh, to Patifar, Ashit Patifar. She had a, a group of quote unquote ladies over, yeah. and they were having, a, she served them like oranges or some kind of fruit, and she gave them peeling knives. Sure. And then she called Joseph in, and when he came in, they all, all their, their jaws dropped, right? Their tongues rolled out of their heads. And they started cutting their hands. And they, they didn't realize that they were cutting their hands until like a few seconds in because they were so stunned by. So that's what happened. That, that's probably what's going to happen when Mashiach comes. Yes. So they'll get dressed right away. They'll be like, this guy likes long skirts. Yeah. You got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. Dude, can I play to you the song? Just the, the 1990 way. World Cup song? It's I, all in Italian. I want you to play it, but is, I just wanted to finish reading literally like four sentences. Okay. That's the whole thing. Okay. Um, the ideal form of governance in Plato's Republic um, is, so in the Republic, the character of Socrates outlines an ideal city-state, which he calls Calipolis. Mm -hmm. The classes in ideal society. Plato lists three classes in his ideal society. Mm -hmm. Number one, producers or workers, the laborers who make the goods and services in society. Number two, auxiliaries, which are soldiers and policemen. They enforce the, the, uh, the will of this third category, which is the guardian, well, the guardians and the soldiers, sorry, the auxiliaries mm -hmm. and the guardians and the soldiers. Okay, that, that's like one thing. So those who keep order in the society and protected from invaders, um, from them is chosen the philosopher king or queen. Okay? And then you have the philosopher king's guardians. So Plato's ideal rulers are philosopher kings. Not only are they the most wise, but they are also virtuous and selfless. <laughs> to combat corruption, Plato Socrates suggests that the rulers would live simply and communally. Contrary to societal values at the time, Socrates suggests that sex should not be a factor in deciding who should rule, so women as, male, as well as men can rule. Socrates proposes that the guardians should mate and reproduce, and that the children will be raised communally rather than by their biological parents. The children's biological parents will never be known to them so that no guardian will prefer his or her own offspring over the common good. The children of the guardian class will be tested and only the most wise and virtuous will become rulers. But again, you know, who decides mm -hmm. what is wisdom and what is virtue, right? It's completely arbitrary in, uh, yeah. in this uh, society, okay? So somebody here, uh, Karl Popper, 
blamed Plato for the rise of totalitarianism. I'm just curious, who's Karl? Karl Popper is is uh no, he's uh Soros's mentor. Hmm. He's the guy that inspired Open Society Foundation. So he is pretending to be anti-Platonic. Yes. Or maybe even a worse than Platonic. How about that? Yeah. It's always, yeah, it's always like uh, when you think, like when you hear things like the, you know, the Bandera, right? Like the the Ukrainian nationalists, they hated communists. So it makes you think that they were like, you know, they like, what did they believe in? They believed in some sort of like, what were they like? They believed in a Republican democracy. They they, they believed in a, in a monarchy. What, what did they believe in? No, they believed in a similar type of communism, just one that they could steer towards their direction. They were also statists, right? So it's kind of a, it's always sort of, a trick mm-hmm. right when, so, when you call somebody anti-communist doesn't mean that they are against the ideas of communism in reality yeah let's see what he says let's see let's see what this guy the origin of evolution of life let's see um family academic life death honors and rewards philosophy background to popper's ideas mm-hmm uh, Popper's rejection of Marxism during his teenage years left a profound mark on his thought. He had at one point joined a socialist, ah, there it is, a socialist association. And for a few months, see, when it comes to the differences be- between Marxism and socialism, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very important to them. Yeah. Right? It's barely noticeable. Of course. To any- They'll they- always argue with you. Oh, there's a difference between... You don't even know what communism is. You know there's a difference between socialism and Marxism. You know this, you know that. They're always getting into like the Nikudas, you know, the 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 fine points, the nuance. You know, it's like there's a joke. Um, how does it go? My father just told me a joke. Something about Govno. Ah, at the at the photographia Govno. And then the guy's like, no, it is a photograph of Govna. You get it? Absolutely. This picture is shit. The guy's like, no, this picture is of shit. Oh, then it's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck's the difference? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So basically, the only the only real problem I think that Popper had with Marxists is that they, they wanted to do like a sudden bloody revolutions, you know, they fight wars and, you yeah. know, take over like by force very suddenly. And, and, and these guys are like, no, no, it has to be gradual over time. It's not that he disagreed with the form of government. Yeah. Right. These guys are counting on your, on, on, you know, your <laughs> ignorance into how little difference there actually is yeah. between these various, you know, statist viewpoints. Yeah. All right. So uh, let me just continue reading. Let's see. It's, yeah. it's, it's short. So Popper's rejection of Marxism during his teenage years left a profound mark on his thought. He had at one point joined a socialist association and for a few months in 1919 considered himself a communist. Okay. 
Although it is known that Popper worked as an office boy at the communist headquarters, whether or not he ever became a member of the communist party is unclear. During this time, he became familiar with the Marxist view of economics, with class conflict and history. Although he quickly became disillusioned with the views expounded by Marxists, his flirtation with the ideology led him to distance himself from those who believe that spilling blood for the sake of a re revolution was necessary. Mm -hmm. He then took the view that when it came to sacrificing human lives, one was to think and act with extreme prudence, meaning it, it, it's, you need to do it, but we got to be a little more conservative about it, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. The failure of, the, of democratic parties to prevent fascism from taking over Austrian politics in the 1920s and 30s traumatized Popper. He yeah. suffered from the direct consequences of this failure since uh, events after Anschluss, which is the annexation of Austria by the German Reich, forced him into permanent exile. His most important works in the field of social science, which is the poverty of historicism, uh, the open society and its enemies, mm -hmm. they were inspired by his reflection on the events of this time and, uh, and, and represented in the sense a reaction to the prevalent totalitarian ideologies that then dominated Central European politics. Mm -hmm. His books defended democratic liberalism mm -hmm. as a social and political philosophy. They also uh, represented extensive critiques of the philosophical presuppositions, underpinnings of all forms of totalitarianism. Popper believed that there was a contrast between the theories of Sigmund Freud and Alfred Adler, which he considered non-scientific and Albert Einstein's theory of relativity, which set off the revolution in physics in the early 20th century. Popper thought that Einstein's theory as a theory properly grounded in scientific thought and method was highly risky in the sense that it was possible to deduce consequences from it, which differed considerably from those of then dominant Newtonian physics. One such prediction that gravity could deflect light was verified by Eddington's experiments in 1919. This guy is like a, he, this is where Bill Gates gets his, uh, you know, the yeah. balls to, to have ideas about things he has no idea, that he doesn't understand. Yeah. Well, it's astounding. It's amazing how people just listen to him. This is one of the things that, you know, we were spoke about this, you know, why people to listen to wealthy, wealthy guys just because they're wealthy. He said, the yeah. Torah says, you know, whatever it is. Or the Gemara says that I guess you should. I don't know. Uh, that's, that's how we got into this predicament. <laughs> yeah. I don't think the Gemara says that we should <laughs> listen to rich people. Yeah. Where did it say that? I'm just curious. No, I think you mentioned something like. No. Basically, when it comes to the rules of how to choose or how a, a, a prophet. Mm -hmm. For the public is chosen. Mm -hmm. You have private prophets, yeah. people who receive messages. You know they receive prophecy from God, yeah. but it's only it only applies to either themselves or to a few people, right? Yeah. But when you have when God has a message He wants to give to the to the entire world, a whole nation, He chooses a, a public prophet, and this public prophet is usually chosen. Um, 
if he's rich. That's not the only qualification, but that's yeah. one of them. He has yeah. to be rich. Why? Because people, people's natures, they tend to listen to rich guys. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we're talking about a prophet, a true prophet of God, who is obviously, you know, a great scholar, very, very holy. He also happens to be rich just to get people, just to get like dummies to listen to him, essentially. Yeah. So anyway, I don't want to read this anymore. Um, I recommend, you know, anybody who wants to continue this. (laughs) No, but it's just kind of, it's interesting, right? Like he he, he felt that uh, Einstein's theory, right? Should not, like his science doesn't reflect the the understanding that that kind of supports Popper's worldview, which is connected to his political philosophy, right? So the science has to be denied. You understand? Like, why would he, like, why would he get involved in a, in a scientific discussion? Let science itself expose itself, whatever it is, whatever the truth is. No, no, there has to be a, a certain perception which his whole political philosophy, uh, you know, rests on, right? I don't know how, I don't know why it was specifically Newtonian physics that, that uh, he relied upon. Mm -hmm. But, but the point is anything that would challenge that, even if it's reality (laughs) is no good. Right. Yeah. For sure. Anyway. So you wanted to play some Italian music, please. It's, It's the opening of the 1990 FIFA World Cup in Italy. This was in, this. the opening itself was held in, I believe, uh, Milan, I think, in sense, it was called Sensiro here, uh, Stadium. Just want to make sure. World Cup opening ceremony. I'll tell you exactly where it was. Uh, one second. I just want to make sure to get this right. Yeah, the ceremony was hosted by Italian television presenter Pippo Baldo, with Italian actress Sofia Loren and opera singer Luciana Pavarotti conducting the draw alongside FIFA General Secretary Seb Blatter. The draw show's show was FIFA's emotion ambitious yet with Pele. Oh, this is like okay. Um, this is. Performance of the Italian version of tournament's official song to be number one by Giorgio Moroder, performed as Unestate Italiana by Eduardo Bonato and Gianna Nanini. This is the song I, I want to play. Bro, I just want to let you know yeah. that only Ben Shapiro can understand you. Why? Oh, because I'm too fast. Okay, sorry. It's crazy. Anyway. The event also featured the official mascot of this World Cup, Ciao, a stick figure player with a football head and an Italian tricolor body. Formed the word word Italia when they constructed and reconstructed. Its name is a greeting in Italian. So, so this is the beginning. Dude, they really put on a show for this thing. But it was like, do it. Let's see. You hear it all? No. <laughs> well, you know, let me find. Uh... There you go. There we go. Dude, just listen to the song, like the 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 note the the notes of the song. 
it's like hope, you know, like. That was the English version. Italian version, but it's it's like uh, I need to find a better. Hold on, one second. I'm gonna find a better uh, quality. I, I have a feeling you you feel about this song the way I feel about Seals Crazy. I, I feel about Crazy the same, but here. Oh. All right, I, the same, but here. It's not just the song. It's like you have to see the video. It's like everybody's so freaking happy. Everybody's so like, dude. It was 1990, you know, like. Yeah, you told you told me that you know that would have been a good place for like a UFO to land and the ship to come out, something like that, right? Like. Yeah, it was like <laughs> everybody from the whole world in that stadium. Yeah. I need like a good quality here. You know what? Let me let me find it in this. There you go. There you go. There you go. That's a chick singing. Get out of here. She sounds like she had too many cigarettes, but she sounds awesome. She sounds like Tuto Catonia. Tuto Catonia. all the people in the comments it's like chills hello yeah yeah i'm listening this guy wrote i was there among the audience my dad brought me there i was six i still remember the john football in the middle of the field and the colorful performance thanks for uploading great nostalgia i know how you feel man i know how you feel You know, yeah, Jim Marotta wrote the song. You know, the guy I mentioned before. Who stole? Who stole? Who stole our thunder? Right? Who stole our moments? You know, Glad. Hmm. I mean, there was also '94 World Cup. That was sick. I remember, like, when it was in America. That was, dude. There was so much. 
I remember like soccer wasn't even a thing in America, but there was so much flipping buzz. Like people didn't even know who the hell the players were. In 94. In 90, at least you knew like a few, you know, like you knew the, the players. And then 94, it was like, you didn't even know. There was a whole new generation. It was just like, people were just excited, like, you know, in America to like watch this stuff. Yeah, there was like a, there was a hope, right, that America would join the soccer world. Kind of. Yeah, I mean, they eventually did. They had kicking and screaming, literally kicking and screaming. No, I mean, it's still not, it's not like. Yeah, it's not one of the four major sports. Right. The team is very good because a lot of the guys play in Europe and whatever, but. But um, yeah, it's not the money's not, just not here, you know. It's not an American pastime. It's not American pastime. The money's not here, dude. You know what's funny? I always yeah. found it funny. Uh, Europe, their political systems are essentially socialist, right? Yeah. But their soccer, uh, the, their sports, specifically soccer, is as capitalist, unbridled capitalist as it gets. Basically, whoever has the most, there, there's no salary caps. In, in, in soccer, in any league, not in England, not in Germany, not in Spain, not in, not anywhere. And you, and who, it's basically whoever outspends, you know, it's not always that the, the team that spends the most wins, but basically the teams that essentially spend the most on average are the ones that win. You, so you can have a team like some guy from, you know, like Arab guy or some Chinese guy comes and buys like some crappy team, you know, some crappy franchise and stadium buys a bunch of players from other teams, all of a sudden that team is good. America is the opposite. We have capitalism. Our sports all have salary caps, all have socialism. <laughs> they have like unions. They have collective bargaining agreements. We have strikes. We have lockouts. We have socialism in sports in America. What? Like, it's just funny to me. Like, you know, you can't spend, if you spend more than a certain amount, you put, you know, you pay luxury tax. Like uh, the, what do they call them? The Golden State Warriors paid all this luxury tax. <clears throat> or the Knicks, you know? But um, I don't know, just, I always found it fascinating. Like sports in Europe is so corrupt. Like ridiculously corrupt. You could have these guys who like make money, you know, however they make money and they come and they buy a team. Nobody cares. You know, you have like Emirates Stadium. The Arabs bought half of the stadiums in England. <laughs> Listen, it's kind of like, uh, like they're just whoring themselves out. You know? It's 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 like gladiators, kind of. Yeah. But in in the respect where it's not that it's like rough, like yeah, they're not killing each other, but but uh, it's kind of like yeah, like listen, the gladiators killed each other, right? It's, morally yeah. speaking, they didn't care, they don't care how they get their entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. It's and there's a similarity here too. Like reminds yeah. me of a uh, steroid abuse. Yeah, you know, like Patrice O'Neill said, hmm. he goes, "I don't care who takes steroids or what." He goes, "I hope they take steroids, right?" He goes, yeah. "That guy literally is taking steroids. His heart's about to explode." Yeah, for me, <laughs> he he did that for me. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not doing it for himself. I mean, he's doing it for himself too, but he's doing it to entertain you to make money. It's all, you know, it's kind of funny. It's like soccer is completely, you know, when I was growing up, you got the sense that they tried to make the impression that soccer was somehow 
morally better it was more sophisticated yeah 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 yeah, yeah. no 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 uh really low class shit dude but but well, no. I, mean, I love soccer but the guys who play it are that's what i'm saying that's what I'm saying. yeah you know soccer hooligans are animals yeah. oh yeah there, there was this documentary about the millwall the fans of millwall the team yeah again and you know what pisses me off most about them yeah right they're these crazy tough animals scary right they do nothing yeah. for their own country like nope. at least at least like the mob we mentioned this yeah. in new york yeah. right? like there's like some idea or i don't know if it's still but they used to be like patriotic they'll wave an american flag you know yeah. they'll you know they'll fight off the if the fascists land on in the brooklyn navy yard they're going to fight them off you know they'll yeah. they'll They'll go to war. Yeah. Remember like in, in the Rocketeer? Remember that movie, The Rocketeer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? There was like, they were fighting fascism or something like that. And then the mob boss, he's like, I'm not going to let them come to America. You know, he's patriotic yeah. mob boss. Yeah, the, the, they, they're the ones who made the rockets. Yeah. So, yeah, man, it's like, uh, it's ridiculous. This guy's saying the Brits stole soccer from an American Indian sport. Yeah, actually, they had this sport like in the the Mayans, I think. Yeah, something it was some kind of corn thing. It has, yeah, it has, yeah, it has something to do with corn. Yeah, yeah. The ancient Maya ball game called pits. Yeah, they had like, a, dude, it's crazy. I went to Chichen Itza and they had those rings, and you had to you had to hit the ball through the rings that are hanging from the, you know, the pyramid or whatever it is. He's called Maya ball game called Pits was part of Maya political, religious, and social life. Played with a rubber ball ranging in size from that of softball to a soccer ball. Players would attempt to bounce the ball without using their hands through stone hoops attached to the sides of the sides of the ball court. I got to I got to give it to uh, Kevin Costner. Okay. You know, he, he he kind of uh, exposed. There's like a spirituality to baseball. Yeah. It's kind of like some kind of like purity, you know, some kind of like yeah, spiritual yeah. purity. Yeah. The game of baseball, you know, it's it's a very innocent game, right? And yeah. it's very geometric, right? Like it has this like, I don't know, there's something about it. It has like this, like, yeah. it's much higher than soccer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as, as, as a game, as in, you know, in terms of like games that enlightened people play. Yeah. You know, it's a... I think that I think that you know, football taken over as America's pastime and basketball somehow degenerated society. I think baseball kind of—it's a shame. I think like I don't know. You know, that's like the that's like the real American game. Yeah. And if like I remember the only like sports I ever really watched, I, I watched baseball. Yeah. Um, it was exciting. You know, yeah. football seemed like it just is mostly standing around. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like a couple of seconds of play, right? But baseball, even though there's like a fluidity there, you know, it's like it, it can flow. Yeah. Right? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm watching this uh, Mayan... Well, you know what I mean? When, when I said the Kevin Costner, obviously I'm talking about Field of Dreams. Yeah, yeah, of course. Dude, you know they had actually a game 
in that field, the Yankees and the this is like a two years ago, Yankees and the White Sox. In the field that they built for the movie? Yeah, and well, they built a field there. And and basically, you know, the cornfield would be at the end of the, you know, where the home runs are hit. You know, so once it's hit in there, you can't, you know, you're not going to find it. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's the portal to uh, heaven, apparently. You know, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Can I play this for you? This this Mayan, here's this, how this Mayan legend inspired a deadly ball game. Hmm. For the Maya, the sky was not the only otherworldly domain. The gods of the sky were not the only ones that had to be appeased. Beneath the earth, there lay another vast realm, a supernatural underworld where the spirits of the dead roamed. For the Mayas, the structure of the world, we are living in the living plane that it's the earth, and then there's the skies with different levels, and of course the underworld. The underworld was the place where the people that are not living anymore are there. So for them, when you die, it's not the end of everything. In the Popol Vuh, an ancient Mayan narrative, the underworld is called Shibalba, the place of fear. It has nine perilous levels ruled by 12 lords, gods of death who are responsible for disease and affliction. The Maya believe this place of death exists side by side with the land of the living. The underworld could be reached in the most unlikely of places. This huge open court in Chichen Itza yeah, looks went, almost I went like a marketplace, but no buying or selling went on here. It was the setting for an ancient Mayan ball game, a game far deadlier than any modern sport. Measuring 550 by 230 feet, mm -hmm. the court is over twice the size of a modern American football field. Mm -hmm. Here, two teams faced off with players aiming to hit the ball through hoops high on the walls. Yeah. They play for the highest possible stakes because the losing team faces being sacrificed to the gods. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> the winners kill the losers and cut off their heads. Wall reliefs show the victors holding a loser's severed head. It's crazy. At first glance, the high walls that surround the ball court don't seem to have much purpose. The reason for their existence could lie in the game's religious meaning. An ancient myth from the Popol Vuh explains its origins. In this story, heroic twins play the game with the lords of the underworld. The lords dismember them and burn their remains. The twins are reborn. Emerging from the underworld, they become the sun and the moon. They die and they revive again every day to remind humans that they got to keep in balance, um, maybe by making offerings and rituals specifically to the underworld. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's like, let's go play some soccer. I'll kill you after. These guys didn't mess around. 
you imagine Messi if he loses in the World Cup and, like, and then, you know? It's like, you ain't, you ain't getting paid, you ain't getting paid cash. <laughs> it's kind of amazing, you know, um, it really, it really shows you that human beings are not animals. Yeah. Uh, even though, you know, we use that as a, as an insult, but yeah. they're really not animals. Animals wouldn't do this. Yeah. Right. Like people, life was very difficult. Like, you know, you had to, you know, grow your own food, stay warm, you know, yeah. like protect your village and your family from violent attacks, you know, by predatory animals and other people and stuff like that. Like yeah. everything took so long. Yeah. Everything was difficult, like just washing, keeping clean. <laughs> yeah. you know? How, where did people have time to think about these like lofty spiritual ideas about the yeah. afterworld yeah. and about honor and you know, all this kind of stuff how why would they bother an yeah. animal that yeah. was growing that was like developing just to kind of adapt best to its to its environment would not develop these things yeah these are all just they're, they're all like uh you know uh they interfere with like ideal survival and comfort yeah so it just goes to show you that pe that man searches and wants to transcend uh the circumstances in which we find ourselves of course it uh, makes me it makes me sick how philosophical we sound in this episode why stop it <laughs> get away from it <laughs> i'm trying to find something about uh i'm trying to find where i read about uh plato's view of like sexual relationships um, between men and women hmm. we know that he thought that uh, th that basically the, the best relationship that a person could have would be an erotically charged relationship between men crazy That's what though he thought. believed the highest relationship would not involve actual sexual contact it's from Weird. this ideal that we get the term platonic relationship uh -huh. Okay, but um, women, uh, the role of Eros in Plato's Republic. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Just a moment. All right, let's see. Uh, in this essay, I should like to, uh, this is written by Stanley Rosen. A essay in Denver? I'm sorry? Essay in Denver? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> In this essay, I should like to present some evidence for hypothesis about Plato's conception of philosophy. Hold on, let me skim. At the same time, blah, 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 blah. Nothing about sex. Fine. Moving on. Let's see. What are Plato's lovers and what do they represent? What are, hold on, what Plato thinks about marriage? There we go. Plato had assumed that love for family can be transferred to the fellow citizens yeah plato himself never married and he never thought that maybe because he was gay uh, yeah. uh and he, he never thought that love was necessary for a marriage yeah he viewed the institution of marriage only as a means to pro he, he could he could be a hostage i'm kidding no <laughs> <laughs> um views of plato hold on he could be heredity no, perfect the guy. No, no, no. no. 
So again, so marriage, view of Plato on marriage. So uh, marriage legally or formally recognized the union of two uh, people in a relationship, blah, 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 man and woman. When two people make a public pledge or commitment to each other to share the lives, uh, their lives together, that is recognized socially, legally, and sometimes religiously. According to many Christian denominations, a marriage, okay, we know what marriage is. What did Plato say? In Plato's days, there was no prejudice against men having sex with other men. Hmm. Sex with the same gender was quite common and accepted in the Greek culture. But men did not marry other men because there would be no conception and birth. So yeah, marriage yeah. was not necessary. Oh, so even they understood yeah. the, whole, the point of this stuff. Yeah. Plato is one of the most influential philosophers in the world. He contributed that. Get to the point. They Plato didn't, they didn't uh, clamor for rights, right? For fruity rights. No, I, I think it was just kind of, you know. It was something separate. they did and then, uh, okay, whatever. Yeah. Plato viewed marriage in an unconventional way. It was a bit diff uh, different from the original concept of marriage. According to his depictions of an ideal state, the state should monitor and have control over human reproduction. Mm -hmm. As per the philosophy of eugenics, temporary marriages shall mm -hmm. be arranged in a festival where the matches shall be chosen by the selected rulers. Mm -hmm. Plato understood that this would not be accepted by the common people. So it was done in secret. <laughs> in Plato's Republic, a new a number system was introduced. It's, a, it's amazing. Yeah. It How was much seichel they had. Absolutely unbelievable. In Plato's Republic, a number system was introduced in which your mate would be chosen by selecting a marriage number. That's funny. According to this concept, it's like going to the deli. Take According a number. to this concept, the people with similar qualities will be matched together mm. so they can procreate. Mm. Everyone chose everyone chose the names from the lot and the and the mate they get is chosen by God himself. And if you draw a blank, you're considered unfit for offspring. It's like horrible shidduchim. Plato also wanted the offsprings to be taken away from the biological parents and wanted them to be raised in common nurseries. This is what the Spartans did, by the I, way. Ironically, this might be a better system than what they're doing in Flatbush. No, no. <laughs> Plato's reason for restructuring marriage was to abolish the concept of private family and to give power to the state and to discourage personal interest and to encourage common good and to increase the strength in the state. The reason was also yeah. to improve human conditions. The logic behind it was if people with good qualities bred, then the outcome would also be good. Yeah. His main aim was to bring unity among people and to have at, at least some citizens in the state who had the best interest of the state. Ah. His main idea behind this was to find the best race and the best people for this society. However, Plato realized his error that even though people with similar qualities mated, it's not necessary that the offspring would have would have those golden qualities of the parents. <clears throat> Aristotle also firmly criticized this theory of Plato. He said that this theory of Plato was unworkable. Yeah. You see, it's it's not that he didn't want it to happen. He just said it, we can't. It's not it's not reasonable. It's not going to happen. Uh, as Plato has not taken into consideration the fact that natural love a parent would have towards his or her child and the emotions associated. Plato had assumed that the love for family can be transferred to the to fellow citizens. Plato himself never married, and he never thought that love was necessary for a marriage. He viewed the institution of marriage only as a means to procreate and to establish a family. 
I've read elsewhere, folks, that basically um, for what we just read mm-hmm. only applies to the highest level of society. Yeah. For everybody else, they could just mate uh, completely from yeah, um, randomly, yeah. randomly from, uh, you know, just uh, what are they called? Uh, pr- uh, promiscuous unions. Yeah. Right. And then whatever would happen, whatever happens, the, happens. the child would be uh, um, raised by the state in some kind yeah. of institution, some kind of orphanage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Crazy. Awful. Awful. Yeah. This is what they want to do, folks. This is what they're trying to. This is what, you know, communism was all about. This is what globalism yeah. wants. This is what the liberals are pushing um, here in America. They, they, they want to, they, they really believe that this is the only way to go. Yeah. They really believe that anybody that stands in their way is evil. should be removed. Yeah. And not only that, they should be removed harshly. Yeah. Because um, they believe that emotions need to be uh, dealt with, yeah. right? Like, like in a state like communism, it would yeah. be okay to take out your frustrations on, on a political enemy. Of course. Because people have frustrations, right? And yeah. which yeah, they have these uh, homicidal tendencies, right? Yeah. So, so why not use that? Yeah. Why not have some kind of release for that? And yeah. at the same time, use it as a political terror tool. Yeah. Okay. So arm up, protect yeah. yourselves. And thank God we're, God bless America. Yeah. We live in America and that where that's available to do. Yeah. If you want to be a loser and stay in a place where, you know, you, you have the excuse that, that, oh, it's illegal for me to have a firearm. Well, then, you know. Uh, you know, be to your own devices yeah. as a uh, normal. No, no, nobody, nobody's forcing people to live in New York. Nobody's putting literally. Nobody is putting a gun to your head to stay in New York. <laughs> mainly, mainly because they can't. <laughs> you know, like folks, think about it. If you live in New York, right? Mm-hmm. If there was a meteor, if if if, if the news announced a meteor mm-hmm. is headed for New York, uh, New York will be annihilated, yeah. and you have to get out of there, okay? And uh, you got you have a week to do it. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't uh, have the excuse that oh my job is here. Yeah. Oh, how am I going to afford to live in you know in Westchester or yeah. or White Plains or whatever? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like all of a sudden all that would disappear, right? Yep. Of course. I mean, is it going to have to come to that? Is a guy like you know? That's like, what I keep thinking. That's what I keep saying. Supposedly. Allegedly, supposedly. Yes. You want to do the readings? You want you want to do uh I do, but dude, I'm like, I'm literally like it's I know what you are. You I'm, literally I'm, say no, the same like, thing I'm every like, time. Pa- no, I'm like literally <laughs> passing out. I'm I'm actually passing out. No, because you're lying down. No, I'm not lying down. I'm sitting in my chair. I'm just passing out. That's literally yeah. what's happening. <laughs> yeah, bro. I hate this. I hate this. <laughs> It, it doesn't even feel like an episode unless we do the readings, you know. Okay. Uh, okay. I mean, we we could do a part two, you know. This is, uh, dude. This is a re- we could do a part two actually because this this is only an hour and forty five minutes. Yeah, let's do a part two because if you're gonna, yeah, you know, I I don't want to say that word. My 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 wife really didn't. She really didn't like me saying "pussy out." 
No, you could say it. I don't care. No, I I, I know I could, but my wife was she's like she not she does not approve. She didn't like it. <sighs> but anyway, all right. Greg has some kind of important uh, meeting tomorrow. More important than enlightening it's, 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 and enlightening yeah. the world. I have an event with a bunch of guys who are, you know, the Amazon hawkers. No, I don't know. There is Hasidic men who work in, they sit in basements and they sell things on Amazon. And apparently they make millions of dollars. Tomorrow, they're having an event to celebrate or to powwow about how, it's literally called a powwow, about how they are successful at Amazon. See, if you want to come after, if you want to accuse Jews of anything, accuse them of dominating the Amazon business. You know, like Amazon sales. And so I'm pouring my wine, supposedly, from Israel at this event. And my partner and I are going to talk about Israel and the wine and Torah and all these things. Could be worse. To a bunch of guys who are not even, you know, I mean, they love Israel, the land of Israel, I guess. And But they're anything but Zionist, you know? You're talking about like Sadmers. Sadmers and Haredi, just, you know, yeshivish guys. Bubba, Bubba, Square. You know why Sadmer pissed me off? <laughs> I'll tell you why. You're going to go George Carlin on Sadmer now. Yeah, no, not not really. Okay. Uh, Sadmer pissed me off. Like, you guys don't like uh, the government in Israel? Well, uh-huh. why don't you come? Why don't you come here? Uh-huh. And and cha- affect change because they because you're not even allowed to do that according to the the mid russian that they're they're touching out you're not even allowed to do that until mashiach comes and the ones who do live there have been living there they're the, the what's called the yerushalmis have been living there since the 1800s before the state came so the ones that live there are going to stay there the ones that don't you know they live in gala stay there stay here they are you know every once in a while they get on a plane to visit their relatives you know you'll see them on a plane forming a minion on a plane and talking in their dumb phone you know uh they visit their cousin in, in Meishurim or in uh where else they rock but then they're gonna go home I, I I understand what they you know how they hold I'm just saying I yeah I wish they didn't hold they, that way. no I'm saying they, they, yeah they hold because you're not allowed you're literally not allowed I told you, I met the, yeah. The, the, no, I understand what they hold, yeah. but I'm saying there, 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 are plenty whack, of, yeah. there are plenty of like huge rabbinic opinions that yeah. say my the friend, opposite. My friend calls it that they have a limited Torah. They don't learn, learn enough Tanakh. They don't learn enough, you know, again, it's back to that discussion. They, they learn Tanakh from the Gemara. So if you actually learn Tanakh, you would understand for better or worse, the fact that we have We've come back to the land. We have whatever looks like a government, which is whatever. Believe me, I'm no fan. I'm the last fan of that. Yeah, obviously but, but, we're not fans of that. But government. it's still Nevoa. It's still prophecy. The fact that we have one. The fact that we have an army. The fact that we have all these things: the blooming vineyards and blooming this and blooming you know, deserts blooming. We're growing wine in the desert, bro. Yeah. If that ain't prophecy, I don't know what the hell is. And these guys are going to say, oh, you can't this, you can't that. Come on. Zionism. I'm not talking about Zionism. I'm just talking about prophecy is being unfolding before your eyes. 
whatever name you want to give it, I don't give a damn. You know, Israel ain't really a desert. It's just a late, it's just, it's just an unmotivated, uh, lush, <laughs> yeah, you know, farm lands, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, the because southern part, the southern part of it is, I mean, the that's southern. What, no, I'm talking about the southern part. It's just unmotivated. Yeah, I know, I know. It's like grass in, on sand. It's like, why, why do I, why should I, why should I bloom with beautiful yeah. vegetation when you won't come and live on me? Yeah. Yeah. When, when, when the Jews move, you know, there's a Gold South program they have, Nefesh Nefesh. If you guys move to the South <coughs> and populate the Negev, the Negev will bloom. Yeah. Dude, we found a 2,000 year old like seed there. It's like a giant seed that grows stuff. What the hell? It's like something out of Alien. We're growing it in the desert. There's there's a, a winery in the Negev. Who, how the hell do you grow wine in the desert? Yeah, it wasn't a desert. What the flip? And it has its own actually distinct taste because of the, you know, the 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 sand. No, partially the sand part, the soil in the desert, the arid soil. It's a very distinct taste. From uh, Ramat Negev Winery, and there's another one, uh, Midbar. Dude, like, seriously. It's it's really astounding. And these guys, I mean, listen, whatever, it is what it is. That's their hashkafa. The irony is that these guys are drinking wine from the settlements, left and right. Wine from yeah, the, the whole road. thing is, is dissolving. It's, a, it's I dissolving. Think, I think even like, you know, even with Satmar, like they're just trying to like, it's kind of like Patrice O'Neill says. Yeah. It's like, you know, the, the whole thing between black people and white people, it's not even really there anymore. Yeah. It's just kind of like developed where white people like not liking black people and black yeah. people like not what, and that's yeah. all it is. It's not like it's, for, it's it's like lishma for its own sake at this point. Yeah, you know, there, so is, like, there is no reason. I don't think that the Satmar really feel the, the way that they did originally, unless yeah. for a couple like for yeah. like a, a handful of fruit cakes, you know, yeah. that like to put yeah. on. Uh, well, yeah, they listen the not, not like to Iran. The, the, yeah, the Nateri Karta guys. Those, 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 even the Satmar think those guys in Michigan. <laughs> So crazy. if the Sadmer think you're crazy, then you got you got problems. Yeah. Yeah. It's hilarious. It's really hilarious. That's what I'm saying. We talk about this, and yet somehow we rule the world. We can't even agree on whether or not we're supposed to be living in Israel. Yeah. So again, I just wanted to say, you know, that we think, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm saying so, like so I, I you can't put I'm, me I mean Torah Jews can't have cannot even agree. No, but if no, we're just talking about just Torah Jews. I'm just saying like this, yeah. that that the people you're talking about is a crazy, spooky <laughs> cult yeah. that want me dead. Not Satmar, you mean the Arab Rob. I'll talk about the Arab Rob, the yeah, Frank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay? That's not we, assholes. Yeah. No, I get it, I get it. I'm, I'm just saying like the, there, there are groups within like real Jews. Okay, you know what? How about this? Let me just, <laughs> let me just read the damn, let me read like a couple of pages. <laughs> Of, of Antelman. But okay. Because I just can't stand. And, and then but, Cartman, but, we'll do but, Cartman but, tomorrow. But Cartman had too much KFC, <laughs> all right. Cartman, Cartman is all stuffed up. Can't even do I can't even do Cartman if I tried. Okay, what does it sound yeah. like to you? What does it sound like? Okay. Sounds like sounds like habit choking. <laughs> <laughs> tell your folk. Tell your folk how. 
how does he how does he like when when he's complaining to his mother he's like man man snow cubs <laughs> you you do his mom pretty well too Snookums. yeah i can't even do it i'm, I'm plugged up bro all right read, read the damn book i'm getting there i'm getting there all right okay light camera actually it's like oprah's book club no, this is like, you know, <laughs> man, you know, I just want, I want to, okay. Uh, so we were talking about, this... I'm just going to start. We got to the end of page 33. We were talking about how the Frankists use a <coughs> verse in chapter two of Genesis to justify their weird sex stuff. Mm, okay. That's interesting. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. No, no, that's from Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 21. But uh, the other uh, verse was from the one that they use for the weird sex stuff okay. is from, from, you know, that that man and his wife were together in the in the garden and they were not ashamed. That kind of thing. Obviously, yeah. not a great paraphrase, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Okay. So there is more to this iron slash olive uh, switching business that meets the eye. For in the exchange of usage and in the expression Amira, which is designated for Shabtai Tzvi, the nefarious Sabbateans expropriated on purpose their workers' revolution philosophy from the writings of the great sages of Israel and twisted and perverted them to their own ends. Exemplary of the Ayan slash Aleph Amira work connection is uh, the commentary of Nachmanides, the Ramban, yeah. on, uh, on Deuteronomy yeah. chapter 21, which is partially excerpted here from Rabbi Charles Chevelle's five-volume English translation of this classic. Wow. In, uh, in reading Nachmanides, it is not difficult to see how they attempted to link servitude uh, work and agrarian labor, meaning the communists as well as others, uh, uh -huh. keys to uh, societal upheaval. Yeah. Here are Nachmanides' comments. Ramban. The Ramban with an N. Yeah, right. the one that got, he got chased out of Spain and he built a shul in the old city of Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah. Ramban shul. Yeah. Which He's was bought by the Jordanians and it was rebuilt. Yeah. The the Ram the the Ramban actually received a, a the complete uh, tradition of of the Kabbalah, yeah, as opposed to Rambam who didn't Rambam. receive he did not receive a complete tradition. Yeah. 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 So thou shall not uh, tithe uh, Amir, uh, meaning tithe Amir, deal as a slave with her. Okay. This, that's the verse. So this is this is like the expression of the hith amer, and he dealt with him as a slave, and sells him. Okay, mm -hmm. so onkelos, in both cases, rendered it as an expression of trading, and our rabbis in the sifre, which is contemporary with the Talmud, by the way, yeah. and in the Gemara, explain uh, explain it as a term of serving. Thus, it is an expression. Uh, thus, it is an express negative commandment 
against making any use of her as a as a bondmaid. And if he did put her to such a service, uh, he is to be scourged. It appears to me in line with the simple meaning of scripture that thou shalt not thith amir, spelled with an ayin, right, is like thou shalt not uh, thith amir, spelled with an aleph, as in the expression, all the workers of iniquity, hmm. yith am amru, bear hmm. themselves loftily. Thus, the verse here states, do not exalt yourself nor magnify yourself by acting as her master to sell her or to use her as a bondmaid. Hmm. Similarly, in Arabic, they call a master Amir. And the usage of the ayin and the Aleph is often identical uh, in the sacred language. Now, Rashi wrote, uh, quote, thou shalt not tithamir with her, with her. You shall not use her as a slave. In the Persian language, work and service are termed amira. Hmm. I've learned this from the work of Rabbi hmm. Moshe, the preacher. This is true. For I have seen in the Yerushalmi, in the Talmud Yerushalmi, right? Uh, tractate Shabbat. Uh, it says, uh, Rabbi Akiva said, and in the tractate of Vodazara, chapter didn't say what chapter. It says, all images. That's the quote. The following text. There in Babylon, they they call a good worker Amira. It is also commonly used in the Aramaic language as it is written in the scroll of Susanna uh, and obviously Shoshana. And the king of Assyria sent to all Amira servants of Nineveh and to all the Amrin who serve on the seacoast and to the servant of Carmel and Gilead to come with him to the war. But all the servants of the land disregarded the commandment of Nebuchadnezzar, and they were not afraid of him. So also, uh, that was a quote, so also in many places of that book, the inhabitants of a land are called Amure of the land, meaning those who are uh, servants to the land and make use thereof. Uh, or it may mean that the king of Assyria commanded the soldiers, these being called the servants of the land, for they are subject to the king to go with him in his wars, and they are his soldiers and his horsemen, similar to the expressions, uh, they served Kedar Laomer, and many nations shall serve him. Okay. All right. So that's the end of, of Ramban's quote. So over the years, mm -hmm. Illuministic communistic personalities have belonged to various secret prophetic societies, paralleling their other activities. So it is difficult to document these societies. However, Professor David Baker of Acadia College in Nova Scotia photocopied a text of a book that had limited circulation entitled, A Religion of Truth, Justice, and Peace, which mm -hmm. he was kind enough to send me. The book by Dr. Isidore Singer, who's editor of the Jewish Encyclopedia, was published by the Amos Society in New York in 1924. Hmm. The book deals with world religion and government themes, as well as Frankist, Sabbatean, Illuministic concepts, mm -hmm. socialist and communist aspirations. The book is divided into three parts. Part one, social justice, part two, international justice, part three, the religion of the prophets. 
-hmm. Chapter five and part one, for example, is entitled Saint Simon and his Jewish friends and disciples with Wait. subsections entitled. There's a neighborhood what? called San Simon. <laughs> Where? In Jerusalem. Wow. Yeah. 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 They're yeah. So and the so there there are subsections entitled the merchant prince as ruler of the new society. Number two, a period of religious romanticism. Three, a new religio social messiah. Mm -hmm. Number four, reconciliation of socialism and religion. Mm -hmm. Radical communist Arthur Waskow is known to belong to the Mika society. Mm. Karl Marx was considered in the theosophy of Amira to be the prophet Jeremiah. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. In a letter dated a Sunday, February 25th, 1848, which has been translated in the Zlosisti collection, which we talked mm -hmm. about last time, yeah. to the editor of a German communist publication, <clears throat> Hess let it be known that the title Jeremiah was reserved for he who prophesied the demise of a particular group. In this case, he identified the group as the bourgeoisie. Mm -hmm. Bourgeoisie. Yeah. Yeah. Bourgeoisie. Bourgeoisie, yeah. Bur yeah. Yeah. So, Burgosi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Moses Hess embraced a perverted Hosea ideology, Hosea being the prophet. Hosea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was Hosea who commanded. By who was commanded by God to marry a prostitute, dude. I knew it. I knew this guy was thinking about this story mm -hmm. when it went because this is a guy that's known for for mar for for getting married to that prostitute. Yeah. So he that's why he married a prostitute. What an idiot! Hmm. So he was commanded, you know, by God to marry a prostitute yeah. Yeah. as a prophetic example that God would redeem Israel, who yeah. had played the harlot by going away from God. Uh, Shabtai Tzvi did likewise. Yeah, yeah, so uh, so it's a metaphorical. It's yeah. it's not it's not universally accepted that he actually married a prostitute. Yeah. Okay. Hess married Sybil, who was a a streetwalker. In so doing, Hess expressed a desire, uh, according to Sir Isaiah Berlin, mm -hmm. quote, to redress the injustice perpetrated by society. He wished to perform an act. Second, of expressive, an act expressive <laughs> of the need for love among men. And wait, hold on a second. Let me try 35, 36. Yes. He wished to perform an act expressive of the need for love among men and for equality between them, and not apparently because he had fallen in love with her. <laughs> Hess. Hess's close friend, Berthold Orbach, mm -hmm. with whom he had an active correspondence, involved himself in Illuministic masonry yeah. and was an active member of the Frankist Juden Lodge. Crazy. By the way, for the, for the folks at home, Illuministic masonry is when the Illuminati would uh, essentially take over or charter uh, a Masonic lodge. Right, mm -hmm. posing as Freemasons, but then carry mm -hmm. out in what what in reality is anti-Freemason activities mm -hmm. because the Illuminati were anti-Freemasons. Uh, anyway, yeah. so 
As for the staged fight between Hess and Marx, a vivid description of what was supposed to have happened is given by Leopold Schwarzschild in his book, Karl Marx, The Red Prussian. Hmm. Drawing upon primary sources, the correspondence of Engels to Marx, Marx said Hess was afflicted with gonorrhea and Hess's wife was a common slut and referred to Hess as Le Grandeur Douche. <laughs> no, actually, Le Grandeur de D E C H U E. I don't know how to pronounce D-E-C-H-U-E. that. D E C H U E. Le Grandeur Douche. D C H the shoe. The shoe. Fall, so it, mean, it means. Uh, it's fallen, a big douchebag, whatever. Fall, fallen greatness. Fallen greatness. Okay, well, yeah, douche. Le star douche. douche a giant shoe. douche. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A fallen douche. Yeah. He fell to the ground. They tried to use him. This Hess guy was a giant douche. Anyway, (laughs) Engels, however, complained to Marx that the charade was taking its toll because the workers liked Hess and it took a long time for them to adjust to his absence. Engels complained in a letter to Marx Mm -hmm. that even after a year and a half had passed since Hess's ouster, that it, quote, exposes me to the most long-winded counter speeches from the workers. Uh, whole meetings have been wasted over it, unquote. <laughs> as much as all of this commotion was designed to create the impression of an irreversible rift uh, yeah. for life, uh, the private correspondence of Marx and Sybil Hess reveals otherwise. Yeah. After the rift, which is fake, right? Moses Hess was careful not to directly correspond with Marx during his lifetime. His last letter was dated July 28, 1846. Marx and Sybil after Moses' death, however, we're not so careful. Here is a translation of a very yeah. revealing letter. Yeah. So, uh, London, October 25th, 1877. Dear Mrs. Hess, mm-hmm. many thanks from myself and Engels for sending two copies of the book Die Dynamisch Stoffler. Mm-hmm. Dynamisch Stoffler, I don't know. We are both of the opinion that the work of our departed colleague is of vast scientific importance Mm. and raises the prestige of our party. For this reason, we see fit outside of our personal ties to our covenant over many years, a personal responsibility to propagandize (laughs) the importance of of his book and by whatever means to disseminate it. Mm -hmm. This is written, you know, sincerely Karl Marx. P.S. Concerning the book, I am writing St. Petersburg and New York. So this book, Die Diamond, uh, Dynamisch Staffelbrie, Staffelry, yeah. was uh, obviously I butchered that, but uh, damn it, German, you know, you deserve it. So this book was a, was a book by Moses Hess. Mm-hmm. Sybil apparently demonstrated no remorse or ill will against Marx. Marx and Engels were willing to spare no effort to aid the book's distribution. So why was it so important to create the impression of an irreparable rift between Marx and Hess? The main reason was that Hess had served his purpose in getting the communist party off the ground. His talents were now needed for two very important projects. Number Mm -hmm. one, effectuating a Russian revolution. Mm -hmm. And number two, setting the stage for ultimate world government. Crazy. Mm -hmm. Another purpose of the stage rift was to force 
Wilhelm Wheatling out of the Bund de Gerechten, yeah. which is the German Communist Party. Hess's rift would tend to uh, lend an air of, uh, of legitimacy mm -hmm. to having Wheatling leave. Wheatling was no figurehead. He, uh, he was a, a genuine worker who visualized communism as a solution to the exploitation of the working class. Marx supposedly believed in this too. However, Marx was a hired hack. He was a lackey of the wealthy, yeah. uh, the wealthy Illuminati. He did what he was told. Wheatling was independent. Wheatling's prior presence of sucking key labor figures into the movement was now, was now an accomplished fact. He could be disposed <clears> of. <throat> the ruthless manipulation of people's lives for the sake of the aims of the party was to become repeated was to become a repeated proverbial characteristic of the party. This is true from Marx's own time to the murder of Trotsky, to the massacres of doctors and generals by Stalin, which brings us to Hess, to Hess's role in uh, Project Iskander. Mm -hmm. Project Iskander was the name that the Illuminati gave to the overthrow of Russia. The name symbolized its overthrow for an ultimate purpose, world government. Iskander is the Islamic term for Alexander the Great. It is written in the Quran that Iskander locked up the savage tribes of Gog and Magog behind walls of iron. Second. Mm -hmm. uh, After he, you finish reading this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make, make you very happy. All right. All right. I'm already happy. This is, this Not is... because I know what you're going to do, but because you want me to be happy. I feel it. Right. Yes. So, so, so Iskander, meaning Islamic Alexander, <laughs> he, uh, he, he locked up savage, the savage tribes of Gog and Magog behind walls of iron and brass, hence the term the Iron Curtain. And in the future, they will pour out to wreak havoc. <coughs> wow. According to the eschatology, of the Illuminati, they would replace Alexander the Great. Indeed, in English Freemasonry, the all-seeing eye is a symbol associated with Alexander. Ah, it is an important theme. And, in and, yet, and yet we name the kids after him because of this whole thing. Well, well that's, that, that, that doesn't mean that what, you know, yeah. what they're using it is correct. Yeah. So it is an important theme in Rudyard Kipling's famous novel, The Man who would be king, right? Alexander, whose life's ambition was to have one world government, would be displaced by the Illuminati, who would achieve their aims by invoking the havoc of Gog and Magog upon the world. Yeah. These were to be Russia and Germany in the West and China and Japan in the East, yeah. orchestrated to the tune of the Islamic mystics, the Sufi, and like dervish orders, examples of which are the Shiite Ayatollah Khomeini and the House of El Husseini, from which stemmed such dung as the Jerusalem Mufti and Yasser Arafat. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. The first Iskander designate was Frederick Kapp, father of Wolfgang Kapp, mm -hmm. who engineered the Kapp Putsch, P-U-T-S-C-H, 
-hmm. in Germany who engineered the cap putch in Germany of 1920. I have no idea what that is. Uh, we learn of this from a letter sent by Alexander Herzen to Moses Hess. This letter, in my opinion, is probably the most important document linking the Illuminati, Sabbateans, the Narodniks, mm -hmm. post-World War I internationalists, such as the CFR, the, right, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Nazis, mm -hmm. and the world government UN establishment. Mm -hmm. A photographic reproduction of the letter dated uh, Paris, March 3rd, 1850, appears in Zlosisti's book. The letter begins with two paragraphs in German. The more important French part is as follows. The tie which binds us to the past and to our milieu has not always been so fragile. It is a symptom of decadence, of the approach of catastrophe. The English, for example, if we accept such eccentric individuals as Byron and Shelley, right, like Lord Byron, and right, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, hold themselves firmly in their present time. They continue. They have work to accomplish on a designated path. We, however, are another case. This rupture of continuity, which is being felt, this bruch, is not made intentionally. It is our milieu which pushes us toward doubt and disgust. After much effort and suffering and deception, you either succumb or, you, or your titanic nature asserts itself, becomes skeptical and feels a disinclination to attack all targets. Circumstances, for example, the 24th of February can cause this change. They can entrap and they can also land you in the middle of another entrapment. The brochure, uh, which I, I guess is titled The Am and Duran Ufer, of which you have spoken, is not at all a work of propaganda. The lyrical element predominates in it and is completely subjective. If it did interest you, it's because it is true. You feel the rage and tears beneath the, beneath the doubt. I freed myself from my tearful sentiments in writing in writing it cap has had published a translation of my letters on the italian revolution of 1847 by hoffman and camp in the first letters you will find uh, me totally involved entangled even though they were written after the first uh, article uh vor dem gewitter mm -hmm. But that is not all. You forget, perhaps, that my position as spectator is due to my nationality. Physiologically, I belong to another world. I am more indifferent regarding the terrible cancer which is swallowing Western Europe. In Russia, we suffer only from childhood on and from material pains, but we have the future to look forward to. The Slavic world has not yet existed in the full flower of its strength. Presently, it is preparing by instinct an immense arena, Russia. In the face of this, we others hold quite a different position than the Roman philosophers. They had nothing but their proud and somber philosophy, although I admit I have a weakness for those men 
mm-hmm. that independence, that individual emancipation, which uh, finally wanted nothing to do with other men, makes my heart shiver. Right. They foresaw the times of, Ju- of Justinian when uh, he would close their schools or the time when another emperor would have the library of Byzantium burned to be done with its knowledge forever. On the contrary, to them, the Roman philosophers, we are only writing, waiting for the moment to appear. I will not continue any more today. I would be truly honored if you would write out your letter in full and print it in your brochure. I will try to respond to you instead of my name, use my pseudonym, Iskander. It is thus that I signed everything I had printed in Russia. And since Cap also used it, go by Iskander. Order Campe to send me one copy immediately and take one copy of my brochure from her from Herweg. I will also send you the letters. Tell me your address, where you are going to England, perhaps. Uh, perhaps I will be coming to London in 20 days. Do not, for, do not forget to give me your address. You can write to me by addressing it in the care of the brothers Rothschild in Paris. Hmm. Uh, have you read in Switzerland? It's almost over. Have you, have you yeah. read in Switzerland the discourse by Donoso Cortez? I've written a response to it, and I plan uh, presently to write a short article against the confusion preached by uh, Emile Girardin, Girardin mm-hmm. concerning majority and minority. As for the rest, it's going pretty badly. I sink more and more into pessimism. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's almost over. Sorry. Let me just finish this damn thing. I'll stop it at the end of the letter. Okay. So uh, once again, thanks a million. Thanks for your letter. It did me a lot of good. I salute you fraternally. Yes. Uh, concerning money, don't even think about that. I don't need any. And you are going to take a trip. Even if you need some such small sum, uh, you have only to write to me. All yours, uh, A. Herzen. Yeah. That's who wrote the letter. P.S. The title of my brochure has induced many people, yourself included, Mr. Hess, to fall into, into error. I wrote it in Russia. From the other side of the land where the revolution took place, the title had no other meaning. Adieu. Okay, that was uh, from Herzen. Herzen wrote that letter. Hmm. Okay, so I guess I'll stop here because you're tired yeah. and we, we made some headway through this. Uh, so, yes, sir. You're going to make me happy. Uh, the Qatari government, I guess frowns upon soccer players wearing the rainbow armbands during the World Cup. Yeah, and, uh, I think we knew that. <laughs> and, and one of them is like, you know, one of these guys who I guess was taking a knee for George Floyd and whatever, you know, in, when he plays uh, in his club team in England, this French guy actually. He says, well, you know, but we're in Qatar and we're going to do as the Romans do and we're not going to, I'm not going to wear the armband. These people have no, not that I agree, you know, if anything, I probably agree with the Qatar government in this case, but yeah, just goes to show they have no actual morals of their own. They have no, no, no it's, they're completely, 
Full of shit, completely. The, the, the puppets. They're it's like, old, uh, again, they're, they're just like uh, John Candy's character in that movie The that we were talking about, Volunteers, was it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's just like a blank slate, you know? Total blank slate, these people. These people. Who are these people? All right, sir. I'm going to turn it in. Tomorrow is a big day for uh, Hasidim and Amazon. And apparently me. Just some guys trying to scrape by. You know what's funny? Hashem keeps putting me in situations with Hasidim. And I don't mind. I'll tell you why. Because, again, my father's family is from Berdichev, and I feel like there's some sort of tikkun there that I have to be I'm cool actually to be around them I feel more comfortable around Hasidim than I do around like if you want to use the term misnagdim. I don't know why I, I feel more comfortable around not just Lubavitchers just different Hasidim Misnagdim are uh, are an anxious yeah. Uh, bunch yeah they they're 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 always worried they're worried yeah they're not besimcha very often i mean some of them are the ones that go to like isha torah but that's already a new manifestation you know isha torah is actually uh i call it they, people call it the hasidic misnagdim it's it's slonim you know slonim slonimer i've heard yeah i've heard uh, that noch weinberg is a slonimer so if you want to like you know, I mean, they're not, I see them, but they're, Slonim actually is a Hasidic dynasty, but it's, it's like, they took on kind of Lutvish things. It's kind of, it's very weird. It's like, that's who founded Isha Torah. So it's kind of like a mix, but. It's funny, you know, the, the most Litvish of like, you know, <laughs> Litvish are actually Chabad. Like, you know, because like literally like the yeah, the yeah. altar rebbe was like yeah, 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 yeah. A, a real litvak yeah that's where he came from yeah, yeah yeah i get it so yeah so you know i feel comfortable around them anyway i hear you all right sir for the folks at home you know the you hear us like be critical of of these type of jews you know that type of jews but we mostly love all of them. Oh yeah, we do. I have nothing personal against. I do. Lit- I Lit-fish. have. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't. No, no. Not against Litvish people. No, I don't have personal against. I have personal feelings of love. <laughs> okay? Oh yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, I, I don't know. I don't have anything like it's personal. Meaning, whatever, 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 like negative feelings. It's just like whatever issues I have. It's it's more like. Well, it's Hashkafa and it's also like moda- modality, you know, but it's not like, I mean, dude, I, I would take a bullet for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. When it comes down to it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, just because I won't daven with them or I don't like dominating with them doesn't mean I won't take a bullet for them. So, I mean, I will daven with them, but, you know. And that exposes, <laughs> that exposes the truth, I think, which, which is, is that, which is, <laughs> which is something that's true with Jews. Mm-hmm. And 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 true 
for for men for 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 human beings in general and i've noticed like uh you know my my experience with the non-jewish world was well i grew up in a environment with that's mostly not jewish mm. culturally um and also uh i have non-jewish family members and also you know i've worked in in industries that are mostly not jewish like construction for instance right yeah um regardless of what you might think you know like these kind of people that kind of people yeah. when, when guys are just kind of working and hanging out yeah. we're all brothers like seriously yeah. that's what it feels like that's yeah, what yeah, it feels yeah. like to them too for, for sure That's the, that's the basic truth. And the truth is kind of like, is what you see most of the time, really. Yeah. So. With that said, the yeah. Kinnus HaShlochim is this weekend. The gathering of the, all of the Chabad rabbis, I think at least in America, if not the world. I think it's in the world. Whoever can make it. Whoever can make it. And it's more and more every year. Like they don't even like the photographer has to go to the other side of Eastern Parkway just to get everybody in the shot. Very funny. I really think that that's you know that when kibbutz Goliath, you know the gathering of the yeah. exiles. Yeah. I think I think the Rebbe accomplished that. Yeah, possibly. You know what does he? What does it mean that you know you 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 send emissaries everywhere on Earth, wherever their Jews are, to gather yeah. them into a a place of holiness. Yeah. And prepare them to make the final move to Israel. Yeah. Is that it's not true. part of Kibbutz Galiat? We'll see. Of course. Yeah, we'll see. See what happens. All right, sir. All right, man. I feel better. Thank I'm you. gonna go have a drink. <laughs> Regal Beagle. Regal Beagle. Out. Out. <laughs> yes. All right. Later.